indeed. Indeed. Second lesson is from the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to read it out loud. You can follow along here in your liturgy. And uh, this kind of picks up midstream and, and uh, right after another parable. And when it says, For it, as, it is as if a man, what the for means is a reference back to the kingdom of God coming is like this, okay? So for it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. At once the one who had received the five talents went off and traded them, made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off. He dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more, saying, Master, you handed over to me five. See, I've made five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You've been trustworthy in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I've made two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You've been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you did not scatter. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, did you that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And on my return, I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given. They will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one wants to say thanks be to God after that, right? <laughs> it's like, whoa, what was that? That's harsh, okay? Two things, all right? It's a parable. Uh, the second thing, judgment language is told in apocalyptic symbolism and imagery for a reason. Uh, this is not what happens to people after they die. This is symbolic imagery about what happens when we realize that we've been on the wrong side of what God is doing in the world. It's a sobering thing. It catches us, catches us off guard in a good way and reminds us that it is possible, even for those of us following Jesus in faith and repentance, to oppose what God is doing in the world. And whenever that happens, uh, it's detrimental to us, it's detrimental to our communities. And so I would ask, invite you to use your imagination with this parable and imagine this language to be what it is. 
symbolic, but symbolic for a reason, arresting, but arresting for a reason. Um, because for us to oppose God's work in the world, like just for instance, like to be in the way of God delivering mercy to someone who needs mercy, that dehumanizes us and that dehumanizes the person that needs the mercy. Just for an example. I just want to say that out of the gate because I just, I just don't think that we normally traffic in parables. And here's one that has slaves and we're from a country that is yet to write a Belhar confession like the church did in South Africa. So we hear this thing about slaves and we think that's terrible and it is terrible. That's the world that Jesus lived in. That's the language that Jesus used. Okay? Um, yeah, so there's still a lot about this parable that we need to decode, if you will, in order to understand how Jesus' hearers would have heard it and try to get at, as best we can, what it is that Jesus meant by it. Let's pray. God, open our ears that we would hear the gospel, our eyes that we would see Jesus, and more importantly, our eyes that we would see the world through Jesus' eyes. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We're back in that same portion of Matthew's gospel where we've been the past few Sundays. Remember, Jesus has come pretty recently into Jerusalem at Passover. Messianic hopes are always high among God's people during Passover. People longing for renewal and deliverance, spiritual renewal and deliverance from Rome, their oppressor. Uh, they remember during Passover God's mighty act to save in the Exodus, delivering God's children from Egypt. Could Jesus be that one? Well, the way they welcome him, uh, you know, in that Palm Sunday text that we have every year, a lot of people did think Jesus was the one. And they would have been right. He's popular with the people and the corrupt religious elites do not want to lose their grip on power. They're afraid of Jesus' popularity. They have it in for Jesus, and soon Jesus will be turned over to Pilate as the corrupt religious elite collude with Pilate to crucify Jesus on false charges. But until that happens, Jesus is taking the opportunity to teach his disciples and anyone who has ears to hear about the coming of his kingdom. What will it look like? When will it come? What are they and we, his followers, supposed to do in the meantime? How should we then live? This parable is a little bit about what the kingdom looks like and a lot about what it looks like for us to be faithful to the kingdom when it has not yet come in its fullness. First, a note about what a talent was. Talent comes from a Greek word that sounds a lot like talent, okay? Um, it was a unit of weight most often used for weighing precious metals. Scholars think that the talent in question in this parable probably represented 6,000 days of wages for a day laborer, an enormous sum, inconceivable really, to Jesus' hearers. 
Why the hyperbole in picking huge amount? Well, this parable is all about what we're supposed to do with the gift of the presence of God's kingdom in our midst. How much is the presence of God's kingdom worth? It is of infinite value. What would it be like if every morning, I'm not saying that I do this, okay? I'm not saying, look at me, super Christian. I get up every morning, and the first thing I do is I ask God to help me live as if the kingdom is of infinite value, and it's beginning to come in our midst, and then I'm a part of it. I try to do that every morning, but what would it look like if we just started doing that more frequently, more often, and in community together? Because the kingdom of God really is of infinite value. It is the only solution for the problems that humankind continues to face that we see spread out across our news feeds. The gospel, the kingdom of God. This isn't the only parable that Jesus told about the worth of the kingdom. He actually mentions that sort of idea in a bunch of parables. The, of course, the one that comes to mind uh, right off the top of our head, or my head anyway, the pearl of great price, right? But this parable is unique in the way that, that value is introduced into it. Because this parable is a direct exhortation about what it looks like to steward the gift of the kingdom. What does it look like to steward the gift of the kingdom in our midst? Now the bottom line, do everything that you can to enable growth, even when it's inconvenient, even when it feels risky. Two of the servants in the parable understand that. And one of them apparently refused to understand that. So this is a parable with a challenge to live in a certain kind of way. A challenge to orient one's life around the promises of Jesus. To take the blessings that God has given us and share them with others. To tell our fellow human beings the truth about God's grace at work in our lives. And of course we tell that story in words, but and in deeds, right? It's a challenge to live authentically among our neighbors as those who have tasted the power and blessing of Jesus' coming kingdom that has already begun in our midst. And it is an encouragement to not lose heart when the kingdoms of this world seem to be winning. We decided um, to pair the Amos passage and the original song that, that Artie wrote to accompany those words in Amos, we decided to pair that with a particular portion of the Belhar Confession this morning. Pair those two things with this parable today because if there ever was a time in our life that belongs to the prophets, it's the time in which we live right now. Prophets reminded God's people that living authentically with God meant finding ways to enact justice, shalom, and human flourishing 
for those who need advocacy and support. Now, it's also important that we realize that God wants to make us a certain kind of people, a certain kind of person, in order to be agents who work towards enacting that shalom, right? And we need to be repentant people. We need to follow Jesus in faith and repentance. But we need to realize that all of that is done within a much bigger context than any one single one of us. All of this is done in a community of people who are all pulling in the same direction, who are all encouraging each other to pull in the same direction, and who are listening to the prophets, whether the prophet be Jesus, the last of the prophets, or the prophets that come before him. What does it look like for us? Well, I humbly suggest a couple of things should be at the top of our minds and deep within our hearts. One, allow the narrative of God's kingdom to shape and drive our passions instead of looking first to other narratives. Social media, mainstream media, political policies crafted by fallible human beings. Pastor John Zayas at Grace and Peace Community in North Austin, a church in our sister denomination, the Christian Reformed Church, was recently featured in the Sun-Times for their important work in forming a network of churches to house and care for migrants. When asked why, he simply said, this is what we, call, this is what we are called to do. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> just you know, newspaper reporters—they want like a lot more than that, <laughs> right? Um, and it's interesting when it's a good story, I guess. But, but I love it. There's no manifesto, right? No manifesto. Just this is what we're called to do. His manifesto was living authentically with the resources given them through God's kingdom, and bringing those resources to bear to alleviate human suffering and enable human flourishing. Two, encourage one another to be faithful when it is easy not to be. I wrote this for the teacher's notes in our kids' curriculum about this parable. If you haven't seen how our kids' curriculum works, we decided that we were going to write our own kids' curriculum. Wow. (laughs) And uh, really good people had that project up among them Sarah Lesh and, um, and also Johanna Harper, uh, Winter Harper, Johanna doing a lot of illustrations and Sarah doing a lot of layout and design. And, um, and, and, and one of the things that I do along with our former pastor, uh, our former associate pastor Caleb and others who write uh, teaching notes and pastoral reflections and whatnot that end up helping teachers use the curriculum. And this is what I wrote about this parable in the teacher's notes. This parable is what it looks like to be faithful while waiting for the kingdom to come in fullness. It's nestled in the midst of other parables with similar themes. When this parable is first taught to the disciples, it is meant as an encouragement to be faithful even through the crucifixion. Even though it seems like the crucifixion will be the end of Jesus, a death blow to the growth of the kingdom. To Matthew's church, these words are meant to be an encouragement to not lose heart 
but to live in the reality of Jesus' coming kingdom, even though it looks like Rome is winning. Each of us will struggle in our own way with being faithful while we wait. But for each of us, the remedy is the same. Pray for strength, encourage one another, do not lose heart in doing what is good and right. That phrase from which Paul's epistles, I can't remember, do not lose heart in doing what is right. Why does he say that? Because it is easy to lose heart in doing what is right. <laughs> okay? So in the Belhar Confession, we make that bold proclamation. Jesus calls us to stand where Jesus is, where Jesus is standing in the world. Well, we can't do that on our own. We need Christ's empowering presence here, this table. We need it all week long. We need to constantly be praying for one another and for ourselves that Christ's empowering presence will supply us with the resources, the strength, the hope, the confidence that God's kingdom is coming, that that narrative is the most important narrative we can pay attention to in this world. Back to Amos now. Preaching about this parable in such a time as we're currently alive in makes me feel pretty certain that there should be a call to action as the summary. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to prayerfully consider letting someone in leadership of the church know if you're willing and able to restart our efforts to provide food and meals for migrants. We have wonderful leadership there, Lee and Danielle. We need to repopulate with volunteers, structure to keep it moving forward. Let us know if you're interested in helping with that. Maybe you're interested in helping us take it even in a fuller direction. Would you also ask God to help you sort out how to live authentically as one who's been blessed with the gift of the kingdom? And would you do that now? Just, you know, here at the end, just stop, have some silence. We'll all pray together, trusting God's spirit to lead us. And I'll close in just a minute. Lord, in your mercy, God's people said, hear our prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.